Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, this morning, um, I, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 for a few minutes. Uh, so turn with me to 1 Samuel. Now, this story, this is the story of David, and um, David and I go way back uh, to my own story because I've always felt this draw uh, to, to King David long before he was king. You know, I was, like, I was like on Team David before he was King David. You know what I'm saying? I was going for him back when it was like Jonathan and David, back when it was just David out in the field with the harp and the sheep. And so uh, I wanted to talk this morning because if you were here a few weeks back and we shared on a Thursday night with some uh, school families who were in the, here in the church and we wanted to give them sort of the courtesy call, heads up, uh, what was coming with the school and the Lord just quickly, in a matter of minutes, put on my heart uh, the story of David and what happened between his anointing and his appointing. Because how many of you know that it doesn't work like the inaugural thing here in the States? Um, just because Samuel comes along and anoints David as king does not mean that the next day that they're installing David on the throne of Israel with the king and all this stuff. No. In reality, there was just about 15 years between the anointing and the appointing. And it is those 15 years that I'm going to cover in the next 10 minutes. I'm just kidding. It's those 15 years I'm going to cover in the next, like, month, four weeks, maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll see what happens. But the, the important thing to understand here is that there was a process and for the ones who are carrying vision in the room for a business, understand that there is, there is a, a period between the anointing and the appointing. Okay? Some of y'all who own businesses in here, you can look back on that season. And, and there was a gradual thing. It wasn't a black and white, you know, flip a switch and it's done. In fact, there was a time when his brothers at Hebron and his own, call, his own people, his own tribe, they, they caught on to what God was doing before everybody else did. And so that's part of the process too. But I want to break this down and go through this thing because in that season, in that 15 years of his life, I believe that the father was customizing for David a school. He was taking him to school. And that school was exactly what was needed to turn a shepherd into a king. So for this morning's intents and purposes, we will call it King's Academy. It was a school that was custom designed around who David was and where he had been, where he had come from and where he was going. It was custom designed to prepare him for the battles that he would face once he was on the throne. It was custom designed to take David from a staff and a sling to a scepter and a sword. And I think if we're not willing to submit to the King's Academy, if we're not willing to submit to the process, I think a lot of times we'll miss what it is that God has for us. So I'm going to just read this first verse here because it's so important. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. And it says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. If you, know, if you know the story of David, you know that long before the day of Pentecost, 
the Spirit of God was exactly what was required to get the job done. He wasn't poured out on all flesh, but he was given in small doses, in increments. He was given and he was retracted. In fact, it says the, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. We see David crying out in Psalms, take not your spirit from me. Because there was an awareness that at this time in history, before the blood of Jesus, before the high priesthood, before the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was given for specific assignments, purposes, jobs, ordinations, mandates. And when Samuel anointed him, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. But I want you to pay attention to the next line, from that day forward. I believe that a big problem that we have as believers is as soon as we feel good about checking the box that we have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, we're not worried about from that day forward. We're just worried about that day. And then we notch our belt and then we march on. Many of us for years never thinking one more time about the Holy Spirit. And every once in a while somebody says, but did you pray in tongues? Because people are really hung up on that. And you turn and you said, yes, I did, 27 years ago, three months and two days. And they're like, okay then. What? That's not, that's not from that day forward. Are you operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, on a leap year. Thanks, Ron. No, from that day forward. And see, the Holy Spirit, there's a reason why there's so much emphasis on this. There's a reason why uh, Pastor Kurt's school is called the School of the Spirit. There's a reason why. Because, saints, when the Spirit comes upon us mightily from that day forward, it's because, it's because the Spirit is required for the learning process to take its full effect on us. Even people that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even cessationists, uh, even, even the folks that, you know, think anybody who speaks in tongues is demon-possessed or whatever. Um, some of y'all are still kind of standing, you got a foot on that line of the thing, but that's all right. Um, welcome home. Uh, I, I, I want to say this. Even from that camp, there is an understanding that the Holy Spirit is given for the sake of illumination. That when you read the word with the Holy Spirit versus without the Holy Spirit, when you read the word with the Holy Spirit, you are supernaturally illuminated. The word is illuminated and it takes on the life that it was meant to have when we call it the living word. Now, for the rest of us here in the room who are walking in that spirit, I want you to know that the spirit comes on us, if you're writing things down, not to make our problems go away, but to empower us to learn and problem solve supernaturally. I think a lot of times we think the Holy Spirit is there like, you know, we're like uh, the, the, for thou, O Lord, is a shield about me. And it's the idea of we like the wall, we like the comforter, we like the, all the, the mothering, nurturing instincts of the Holy Spirit. We love those things. But the Holy Spirit was never intended to make our problems go away. It was intended, the gift of the Holy Spirit was intended to empower us so that we could do what Jesus calls greater things than what I'm doing. So that you can go beyond the ministry and the work of Jesus that you see here on the earth. So that you can walk in these things. So that you can heal 
open eyes, right, so that you can raise the dead, so that you can uh, bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free, so that you can uh, cast out evil spirits. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit was for, so that we can learn and problem solve supernaturally. How many of you guys as parents, you know, especially in this day and age, that we sometimes enable rather than empower our children? This is why King's Academy is so important for David back then. Because God wasn't interested in enabling David. He was interested because he found someone whom he could empower. Empower. There's a big difference. Our flesh is looking for a handout. But the spirit within us is looking for the hand up to get to the place, the higher place that he's taking us. And there's a big difference. And I think that we're in a culture right now that perpetuates the enabling. We perpetuate the enabling. Because for as long as we keep our entire society, if as long as we keep our populations in the victimized mindset, then, we, then, then no one will ever believe that they have the power to move beyond the cultural norms that are set before them. It's so important, saints. If you, if you get into the New Testament, we see that the badge of the Holy Spirit is, um, it's called, this Greek word, erebon. And erebon is literally a down payment. Literally a down payment. It's something given in earnest of what is to come. It's the already, but the not yet. The down payment. Some of you guys, you're driving cars that you put a down payment on. And when people say, oh, nice car, you're not, well, some of you guys are like, it's not mine yet, you know. Still the banks. It'll be mine in 197 payments or whatever it is. I don't know. And the crazy thing is, is that you still get to drive the car with nothing more than a down payment. Well, this is the way that we're empowered. A down payment was made for us so that we have access. That we have access to the power of God. Saints, the Holy Spirit is so important. The Holy Spirit should, pay, put, should play an integral part of our education. Because when he's involved, when the Holy Spirit's involved in the learning process, we will be transformed by what we learn. We'll be changed by what we receive. See, how many of you guys sat through calculus in high school and it didn't change you? And you couldn't write down the formulas today. They didn't sink into that deep eternal place in your life. Some of y'all are like, I, I, it did, but then I cast it out in Jesus' name. And... Uh, I, I love this because I, I feel like there's a huge difference between the things that even Scripture, some of us, we memorize Scripture up here, but it left us because the Holy Spirit wasn't involved in sucking it down into our heart of hearts, into the eternal parts of ourselves. Because when it's there, it's not about what version did you memorize it in. It's I'm, I, I learned it in the me version, the, the, the my heart version, the my life version. And now the principles of the truth of the word of God are alive in me because the Holy Spirit was part of the process. He's got to be part of the process. There's a false teaching that is working overtime right now to remove the power of God from the people of God. I'm crying about it too. 
I'm going to say it again. There, there is a Sadduceic spirit, a, a principality that is seeking to remove the power of God from the people of God. Do you remember the Sadducees? They don't, get a lot of, uh, they don't get a lot of press. The Pharisees get a lot of press. But the Sadducees was a religious sect at the time that believed everything about Jesus up until the point of his death. And then they stopped there. And they didn't believe that he ever came out of that grave. That's why they're so sad, you see. I learned that when I was a kid and it sunk down deep. You know what I'm saying? Because the Holy Spirit was there. And it's still there, Jamal. But here's the thing, Jesus, saints, Jesus died so that we can go to heaven, but he rose again so we could plunder hell. He rose again so that seated at the right hand of the Father, a living, breathing, transfigured, glorified Jesus Christ could release to us the power that would rob hell of the souls that the enemy's after. It is absolutely imperative that we understand the resurrection brings the power and the authority, as you heard this morning. We've got to get this. Anything less than that is a form of godliness that denies its power. A form of godliness that denies its power. Okay, we've got to keep going. So this uh, King's Academy that David's in... There are different uh, years, you know, like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and they go by the chapters. It's neatly divided for us. So I'm just going to jump in here because the first lesson that David had to learn was about identity. And this isn't just for school-age kids. In fact, the 15 years fits nicely with our K through 12 and then uh, two-year program that you have going on at School of the Spirit. I'm just saying it worked out great. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's not just about school-age people, though, saints. It's about any one of us that's somewhere between the anointing and the appointing. We have to learn this lesson of identity. And if you struggled in school, then you know you weren't allowed to take the next test until you passed the previous one. How many of y'all love that? Until I pass this one, I'm not going to the next one. And we just... We struggle with that. Identity. What was David's identity when he was anointed? He was the youngest. He was the weakest. He was the most forgettable. How do you know, Zach? You're just inferring things. He was the most forgettable. No, I'm not. His father literally forgot him. Anybody from a big family and you all stopped somewhere at a, at a rest stop on vacation and then they all got back in the car and left and... I know that happened to Shane, but we're, we've set up some deliverance sessions and some yielding. A friend of mine uh, who goes here, but I'm not going to name his name, it was Lyle Richardson. <laughs> and when he was a little bitty boy, like 10, 11, 12 years of age, they, were on a, they went on a snowmobile trip up into Maine, and they literally left this kid. It was a whole convoy of guys, and they left him at the truck stop in the middle of the winter, in the middle of Maine. Everybody's like, oh, that's real bad. That's real bad. If you're watching from Maine this morning, we love you and we're praying for you. Um, but I, uh, I just, I, I, I think of how forgettable David was that when a man comes along and he says to Jesse, Jesse, bring out your sons. 
Because the Lord wants to anoint one of them king. And Jesse says, here they are, all seven of them. It's not this one. 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 Are you sure you only have seven? I am sure. There are only seven sons at this house. Well, there is that one kid. You see all these guys. They have a brother. I'm not calling him a son yet, but they have a brother. Was anybody that kid in your family? Like all your siblings get introduced by their name and then you get introduced as like their brother? <laughs> Levi. <laughs> Lord, he was forgettable. In fact, he had the job of being out in the field, staying dirty, staying with the sheep. And his brothers made fun of him because it was only a few sheep. Apparently there weren't even a lot of sheep. It was just a few sheep. But follow this story for just the next couple seconds with me. Israel goes to war against the Philistines. And by war, it's really sort of like a cold war. It's a standoff. And in chapter 17, we see things unfold where Goliath would come out every morning on the top of a hill over here. And he would shout out and mock Israel's God. He would mock Jehovah. And he was a giant, a mammoth of a man with a spear the size of a weaver's beam and, and hundreds of pounds of armor and a deep growling voice. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm assuming. Because it'd just be weird if he had like a high-pitched voice, you know. Who do you guys think you are? <laughs> you know, like a helium voice. Anyway, I don't see that. I think it was a deep bear of a voice. And he would come out. And, and David's brothers were out with Israel's army in this Cold War on another mountain that faced this mountain. They were camped over here in a valley somewhere. And they would come out every morning. And they would stand on top and listen to a giant scream vulgar, blasphemous rants at their God and at them. What was David's job? The guy that brought the lunch. David's dad would send him. He would run back and forth out to the field, to the battlefield, and he would bring a, a bag. And it said, hey, bring this roasted grain, bring this bread out to your brothers, and I'm going to put some choice cuts of cheese out for the commanders of the army. Some bread and cheese, a little charcuterie board together. We'll put it in a bag. You're going to run it out, set it all up, make it look nice, David. You know what to do. Put the olives in the thing and the little fig jelly. And so David, that was David's job. I used to work for my father-in-law for five minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, if you don't know um, the Eatons, they, uh, they are in the, the, the construction business. And... Um, and so when I came on the scene, you know, as a construction worker, I realized that one of the most important jobs in construction is the guy that goes and gets the lunch. At least that's what you told me, Ron. <laughs> and so whether we were putting a roof on something or whether whatever it was, everybody's paint, whatever it was, it was, hey, Zach, you know what would be awesome? Uh, run out. Buy all these guys lunch. Go, go to Dunkin' Donuts. Take everybody's order. Bring them all back bagels or whatever. And I'm like... Are we building a house or am I just making friends? Because 
I feel, oh, and then I started to get it. Then I started to get it because it would be on my lunch break that I'd come back and somebody had redone everything I did. Okay, I'm, I'm getting it now. The guy that gets the lunch. I under, you see why I'm tracking with David's story? Okay, you see? So he would come out, but that was his identity. The guy that brings the lunch. And it was proven because while everybody else had their military garb on, David had a bag over his shoulder. He was carrying a Stanley lunchbox. He was carrying the, 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 the butcher block with the boards and the utensils and everything to get lunch set up. And I want to draw your attention because I just have a minute here. I want to draw your attention, saints, to this verse in chapter 17. While Goliath is yelling on the opposing mountain, which, by the way, that mountain belonged to Judah, if anybody knew, wondered. While Goliath and the Philistines were screaming bulgarous blasphemy about God and the Philistine and the, the Israel, Israel's armies on the opposing mountain, and they're standing in there saying, like, who's going to go fight this guy? Are you going to fight him? No. Are you going to fight him? Not today. Okay. Well, one of us gets Saul's daughter if we beat him. Yeah, but have you seen Saul's daughters? They're not that hot. Let me tell you something. It's not worth it. I mean, one's name is Michael. You know what I'm saying? And facial waxing doesn't come out for a few millennia. I'm not ready for that. Verse 17 of chapter 17 Jesse says to David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves. Run to the camp to your brothers and bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousands and look into the welfare of your brothers. So David goes with the lunch over his back. And in verse 22, he gets to the military camp and he says, then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. I preached on this a number of years ago, and as I got to that line, I just felt the shockwave from heaven hit me like a ton of bricks. And the Lord goes, you see what I did there? You see what I did there? I think when David approached the baggage keeper, I think he saw him through a crowd of people. He said, I'm not sure what it is, but I recognize that guy. Where do I know him from? There's something about his eyes. And as he gets closer, the man sticks out his hand to take the baggage. And David looks down and sees a scar on his palm. There's something about this guy I know. There's something about this guy. It's like I've met him before. It's like I've known him for years the baggage keeper, and he takes from David what identified him as less than. The only bags he had were the bags that made him the lunch runner. The only bags he had was what defined him as the weakest and the forgettable, the less than, the inferior, and he hands them in one motion to the baggage keeper.
Now, we have no record of David ever going back and getting his baggage. You know why? Because by the time David leaves that day, he's a warrior and a hero. But in this first lesson of the King's Academy, he had to release the baggage. He had to let go of what had for years drawn a parameters around him and said, this is who you are, David. You're the one we forget. You're the one we reject. You're the one we abandon when somebody comes along with an anointing or a calling or a purpose. Your purpose is to stay in the field. Saints, I want you to know this morning that when we enroll in the King's Academy, we're going from charcuterie to sharpshootery. Oh, you weren't ready for that. I got you. I got you. <laughs> it's identity. Write it down. The next thing, fearlessness. He learned fearlessness. After identity, he learned fearlessness. There's never been a time, saints, when it was more important to raise a fearless generation than right now. David does not, throughout the story, I'm not going to read the story, you can read the story. David does not acknowledge the size of Goliath. Not once. Wow, that guy's big. Nope. Wow, look at the size of that spear. Nope. Not until he's dead and gone does David say, give me Goliath's spear from the priests at Nob. You remember that? He says, give me Goliath's spear. There's nothing like it in all the land. That's David's only acknowledgement of the magnitude of what Goliath carried that day. He doesn't acknowledge his size, but only that his God has been mocked. Saints, what if we were more concerned with defending God's honor than we were defending our own reputation? Imagine that. Imagine how much more we'd speak up. Imagine more how outspoken we'd be about our faith if, if every time God was blasphemed or mocked or ridiculed, every time our faith, every time Jesus' name was taken in vain, if we were more concerned with defending his honor. He doesn't need us to, but I think he likes it when we do. Then we were with defending our own. Let me protect my own reputation. Let me, let me protect my own what people think about me. I don't want to be that crazy religious person. Well, that ship sailed for me a long time ago. What if we were more concerned? Bill Johnson, over the course of the COVID um, extravaganza that we're on the back end of, because COVID's over, right, Ron? Bill Johnson uh, said this. He said, we're living in a time when fear is disguised as wisdom. And uh, when, uh, when he says that, it's because an apostolic view of our country has whitewashed a demonic principality of fear and we've called it wisdom. We've said, use a little wisdom, but what we mean is be afraid like I am. And I'll add to that, fearlessness, for those of you who were fearless, through the last couple years, fearlessness was ridiculed as ignorance. If you're writing things down, make sure you get this before you go today. Fear is contagious. You see, 
there for a while, we were so, so afraid of catching COVID that we all caught fear. Because fear is contagious. And saints, our kids, our kids should be somewhere where they're not going to catch it. That's what I want for our kids. That's what I want for this house. That's what I want for the generations that we're raising up. David hadn't been around the troops very long. What set David apart? Was it all the songs he sang? Was it that he had seen uh, God give him victory over the bear and over the lion and the tiger and the bears, oh my, or whatever? I, I think what set David apart was that he wasn't waking up every morning in a camp full of soldiers who were afraid of everything. Because fear is contagious. He spent more time out in the field alone with the Lord. And so when he showed up, he's the odd man out because he hadn't been around long enough to catch it, to start talking the talk. Look at the size of that guy. Look at the size of that guy. That guy must be nine feet tall. Look at the fingers on that guy's hand, like sausages. That guy must be Portuguese. Saints, David, because of what David had been exposed to, what had he been exposed to? Time and time and time again, God gives him victory. God gives him victory. Victory over the lion, victory over the bear. He had only been exposed to the proof of victory rather than to the rumors of inferiority. The rumors. That's why I'm saying the rumors of inferiority. They had believed the lie that their God wasn't big enough to take on this giant. And saints, here's the deal. When we send off our kids every day, when we ourselves every day sign up and sit in the desk of the schools of this world, what we're learning is a language of fear. What we are speaking is a language of fear. What we are believing are principles of fear. Let's just call them principalities because that's what they are. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I believe that uh, separation is important. Well, we shouldn't be separate. We have to live in the world, but not of it. That's just we should be commingling with all these things and, you know, just, you know, trying to get by. No, no. Prove that to me in the word. You won't. I'm just going to give you the disclaimer. You won't. Being in the world, David was in the world, but it's not where he took his lessons from. He went up to that mountain just like all the rest of those soldiers did that day. And as soon as he passed off his identity to the baggage keeper, he became something new. He became fearless. Fearlessness. Fearlessness. In verse 48, it said, when it was time, it says he ran at Goliath. Ron preached on that a while back. But would you stand to your feet? I want to close with this. The last thing David learned in this lesson, identity, fearlessness, and last, and so important, saints, strength. He learned strength. 
I want to read you something out of verse um, 45. It says, Then David said to the Philistines, verse 45, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David learned that his strength didn't come from a sword or a spear or a javelin. And watch what else he did not include. Or a slingshot. He doesn't say, it comes in the form of a, no. But I come to you from where my strength comes from. The name of the Lord. You see how he puts that up against all of the weapons? No weapon. I love this, saints. It's so important that we get this. He knew where his strength came from. And if you don't believe me, watch what he does. Two mountaintops. Israel's on one. The Philistines are on the other. And every morning, the Cold War standoff, shouting names, mockery. Why don't you come down and why don't you come over here? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? David stops all that nonsense. And he comes down the mountain. See, if you've ever studied the art of war, then you know that the high ground is a strategic position when it comes to battle. You want the upper hand? You don't leave the high ground. That's why no one else was coming down into the valley. And I think a lot of times as believers, you know, we come in here on Sunday mornings and our time in the presence of God, we're going from glory to glory to glory. The problem is, is to get from one glory to the next glory, you've got to come down the mountain. You've got to go through the valley. And you've got to come up to the other side. The battle that we have been called to is not on a mountaintop. The perspective that we have been called to is on a mountaintop. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But the battle that we're to be engaged in requires us to leave the strategic high ground. To leave the upper hand. And get lower. Get low, yes, sir. Yes, get sir. lower. Yes, sir. Get lower. That's so good. Says he reaches into the brook and pulls out five smooth stones. Well, a couple things. If you know anything about mountains in this area and rivers and brooks and that sort of thing, all those rivers and brooks run in the valley. He got his ammunition in the valley. You pick up a rock at the top of a mountain and it's full of jagged edges. It'll cut you right up. And then you put it in a slingshot and it's going every which way but straight. But by that time that that rock has traveled in the, in the stream, in the creek bed, down the mountain, rolled and rolled and banged and hit and chafed and chapped and, and rubbed, by the time it gets to the bottom, see, that's where all the good stones are. That's where all the smooth stuff is in the valley. David got his ammunition in the valley. And I want you to know this morning something, saints, in this King's Academy, and as you are launched off on your way, I want you to know that the further down the mountain you come, the smoother you get and the straighter you fly. David gets his ammunition and his victory in the valley. He killed Goliath that day in the valley. Saints, do not be afraid of the low place. Do not be afraid because the same God of the mountaintop 
is the God in the valley. Your ammunition and your victory are waiting in the valley. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story, and we thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that you would manifest the fullness of your presence in this King's Academy. God, that you would draw us, that you would compel us, that by your spirit, Lord, that we would arise to take the steps of faith necessary. God, this isn't just about enrolling our kids in a school of the spirit. This isn't just about getting our kids uh, schooled not in the languages of fear, but in the languages of victory. But God, it's about ourselves. It's about the flight pattern that we take when we leave the sling. It's about the the low place that you've called us to, to find the victory between glories. And so God, I pray over your sons and daughters this morning that Father, a mighty spirit of boldness would be released. God, that those who are still carrying the baggage, God, that those who have believed that they are still forgettable, God, I pray this morning that they would lock eyes from across the room with the baggage keeper. And God, that they would deposit the things of yesterday, the things of the last season, the things the enemy's whispering in their ear today, that they would rip the name tag right off their chest, God, because robes of righteousness are coming. God, a new new armor of your spirit is coming. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the baggage would be left, that the fear would be left, and that strength would rise up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. You're awesome. I'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.